You're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. We are three badass female coaches from around the globe who are here to debunk the typical go harder fitness and diet advice and guide you to make your own definition of health and wellness. Join us each week for conversation, information, interviews, dry humor, dad jokes, and more. Hey, it's Olivia here. Before we jump into the episode, I have something super exciting to share with you. This episode is brought to you by Earned Athletic. To celebrate the release of the podcast, these guys are giving you the opportunity to score yourself a $130 gift voucher. I'll get to how you can win that in a minute, but first, a bit about these guys. I'm lucky enough to be an ambassador for Earned, and I could not be more proud to represent their vision and what they stand for as an apparel brand in the fitness industry. And we at the Be Well Cartel, We love these guys because everything they design is for the human that is interested in upping their performance in the gym, but also out of the gym, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Earned was born from the belief that tackling challenges head on in the gym and in life is what leads to growth, which is exactly what we're about here, and that's why we love them. And I can vouch for the humans behind this brand. They are a group of highly esteemed coaches, athletes, and entrepreneurs, and just dope humans. And their workout apparel apparel has the softest fabric. It's like wearing butter. So if you want to get your hands on some of these threads, and trust me, you do, and support us while you're at it, which would mean the world to us, then all you need to do is go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. Take a screenshot of that review when you submit it and share it on your stories on Instagram. Make sure you tag at BeWellCartel and you'll be in the draw to win that $130 gift voucher from Earned Athletic. So with that, enjoy this episode of the podcast where we're diving into nutrition and fitness myths that just won't die. Hey, we're back. Hey. Hey, it's yeah. episode four. <laughs> it's, we've made it through the, if you, if you have made it this far, you currently know a lot about Holly, Olivia and I, and you're probably super excited to know more. I would imagine because otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, and, <laughs> and so we wanted to start out just kind of updating a little bit on what's going on in our lives. Just some cool things that have happened this week. Um, and then we're going to go into a discussion about some fitness and nutrition myths, which we, all three of us got super excited when we were brainstorming this because we've been in the industry for a long time now, and we have heard a lot of crazy things. So if you want to just, some of them just won't die. Exactly. (laughs) It's crazy. Right. And so if you want to skip forward, if you're like, I don't want to hear about your guys's week and I just want to hear about these myths, go ahead and skip forward about 10, 15 minutes. There you go. But if not, I want to hear what happened with Olivia this week. Um, yeah, well, I had a pretty anxious week, um, last week because I was anticipating my period coming and because for those of you that don't know that are new here, um, I had hypothalamic amenorrhea and this is something that all of us, Jillian and Holly and I have experienced. And it's something that we will dive into later on in another episode. Um, but I got my first period um, 
my first natural period since I was 14 years old in January, which was a massive milestone because it had been a few years of really working on my health and my body and my mind to make that be true. So I was really, really nervous about February and what would happen because I actually did bring in a little bit more exercise because when we were recovering um, a missing period, we want to remove as much stress as possible. And so for that to happen, I took out exercise, gained weight, ate uh, like really trying to reduce stress as much as possible. And when I got that first period, I was like, okay, cool. So I actually bought in a little bit of exercise so I felt a little bit nervous about what was going to happen, but I got it, which was amazing. And it actually ended Woo-hoo! up coming on the day it was supposed to on my, oh my tracking. Yeah. Which is weird. That's exciting. Yeah. That is but, so awesome. But what is really interesting, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the last kind of six months when I've really started to feel these shifts in my body, because for so long, my hormones were flatlined, right? I mean, completely flatlined for years. And so I've never really had kind of like PMS symptoms or like ups and downs or anything like that. In the last six months, I've found that there is one week of the month where I am wretched, absolutely wretched. And I get really, really anxious, like can't sleep and and all of that stuff. And um, I was having that last week and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is what it is now. And I'm feeling those cycles. So I don't know if so, you guys have felt that as well. It's so funny. Cause I was actually just thinking about this yesterday because I was thinking about, and like, maybe this is TMI, but you know what, that's what we're here for. Right. Um, is I was thinking about how for the longest time, like my sex drive was just like, I didn't, I like didn't want to masturbate. Like I didn't really, you know, it was just like, you know, I like, liked I was like still attracted to men and would like see them and be like, Ooh, but like my sex drive was just not there. And now that my hormones are back normal, I'm like ready to go all the time. Unfortunately, being single and being stuck in quarantine, you know, (laughs) I pretty much depend on my vibrator for that, but I have to say it's amazing to actually like want to again, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I feel I like I wish people again. would talk about sex drive more often because I feel like it's still such even even more of a taboo subject than periods. People come like, yeah. oh yeah, periods that's biological, but like sex drive. If you don't have sex drive, something's wrong. Like something's wrong with you. And so yeah, I love that you brought that up. And Olivia, for me as well, I just got my fourth period after no period for like three years, coming off of hormonal birth control. And similarly, I had had flatline hormones for so long that I was like. I knew what happens, obviously, like we all work with a lot of women. But for me, the crazy thing was having to buy um, like different bras for the week before my period because my boobs are just so sensitive the week before my period. And I never really thought about it before. I haven't had sensitive boobs for like years, like ever since I had the IUD. And then all of a sudden I'd be in a yoga class and be like doing like, you know, a chaturanga where you go down to the floor. And I was like, ow, like this is painful like I'd be like jogging after my dog and be like oh like what's going on and I was like oh this is why people have to buy like supportive sports bras I get it yeah and it's such a I've just found it to be such a beautiful thing so many people said to me oh you're gonna be so you're gonna hate having your period like after a few months you'll just resent it and I'm like no way like this is amazing first of all because I teach it you know like teach about um with my clients about how to manage their energy with their cycle. That's a really big part of what I do. And so 
now for me, it's this amazing thing to truly embody that, you know, like you said, Holly, it's a different thing to actually intellectually know something and teach it, but to actually embody it. And I think that, um, that is, has just truly been the most magnificent thing to experience. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. And I think one of the other things that, you know, similarly, I think all of us teach a lot about boundaries as well in our, in our personal and professional lives. And I, Jillian, I know that's something that you've been working on a lot this past week, bringing some boundaries in for yourself. So tell yeah. us Yeah. So, so, so this is actually something that I, I just had last night. I just had a conversation with a client who's actually come back to me because he had a really rough time in, um, in quarantine. And so the majority of the people I work with are female, but I do have quite a few male clients as well. And this client, you know, it was really interesting because we were talking about, he has a kid on the way. Um, and, and he just is one of those people pleasers. And I think that we find this a lot also with females where like, we just want to make everybody happy because we're the caretakers and, you know, whatever. But I think with males, you know, a lot of males find this as well, especially depending on like the role that they have within their family or their friend group. Um, and so I was talking to him about boundaries and it was such like a, like a serendipitous sort of like synergistic conversation because yesterday or actually this week, I've been doing a lot of thinking about like, wow, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed and there's so many things that I want to be doing, but I want to do them really well. And, um, so for those of you that, that have heard, you know, I live in Barcelona and I am bilingual. So, um, I speak fluent Spanish and, and for a long time, I was doing a lot of content in Spanish and I do have, um, you know, my client roster is kind of like split 50, 50 Spanish English, but I, for a long time. And I, now that I think about it, it's like, are you insane? I was trying to do all of my content in two languages without someone translating for me. And so like, yes, I was doing like a, like Instagram posts and then I would translate it into Spanish, which is like, okay, whatever. That's not terrible. But I was also doing like every week I would send out an email in English and every week I would send out an email in Spanish. I have a podcast in Spanish. And it just got to the point where I was like, I need to set a boundary around my time and my energy because this is draining. And it's like, I feel like I'm just barely keeping my head above water and I'm not, and I'm actually like dreading doing some of this stuff. And I love what I do and I don't want to dread it. And so I sent out an email to my Spanish email list, which is like way bigger than my English email list. And I was like, Hey, you know, like, I just want to let you know this, you know, this is a boundary that I'm trying to set. Um, I'm going to be as of next week or next month, I'm not going to be doing any more Spanish podcasts. So that was big for me. Oh, wow. So no more Spanish podcasts. Yeah. And, and this is so this, this was big because I love doing the podcast. Like I love, and this is why also I'm so freaking excited to do this with you guys. Cause I love, clearly I know how I like to talk. Um, but <laughs> I love, I love doing the podcast and I love, I've realized I love editing the podcast and all that kind of stuff, but it was just, it does, it doesn't necessarily go towards my vision of my business in the future where like, I can't continue to serve two different communities at the same time. Right. So yeah, and I think this is also one of those things. It's one of those things where you also have to be like, okay, cool. Like how much of my Spanish speaking audience actually has like pretty damn good English, which is often a lot of them. And it was a, I mean, it's not everyone. Right. And I had to make a similar decision coming out of China because at that time, a lot of my audience was Chinese. And when I was in China and coaching, I was coaching bilingual. So, and my PT sessions, some of them would be in Chinese. So it was and I was translating for CrossFit in Chinese, which I know you were doing in Spanish, but 
as soon as I left China, I was like, look, unless I have someone translating all this for me, like, I like, I don't have the, the headspace to do exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then also like a lot of my Chinese audience, because they live in bigger cities and are fairly international, like often speak pretty good English anyway. And they actually said that they enjoy learning English from my posts to them. Yeah. And I think my problem is, is I just, and as you may have realized, if you're listening to this, I just tend to talk way too fast. So I am going to consciously slow down, enunciate my words so that hopefully more uh, international people can understand me when I talk. My grandpa once told me that he couldn't understand me when I talked. (laughs) I used to get told off as as a child by my mom. She still tells me off sometimes for speaking too fast. But for me, it was like an anxiety thing. I was like, oh, the faster I talk, the faster I can be done. And like, <laughs> I don't have to yeah. talk anymore. Yeah. Um, Jillian, I think that that's really awesome. And I understand that that must have been a really big call for you. But what I think is so beautiful about that is that, you know, what you said is that there's so many things I want to do and there's so many things I want to create. And when we have too much stuff on our plate and we continue to put more stuff on our plate, what is really true and our creative selves and our higher selves are just masked yeah. by stuff. And so the more that we can remove, even though it seems like, but I should be doing all of these things. It's like the more that we can remove, and this is not, this is for all of us. And right. I mean, this is for all of us. The more space we can create in our lives, the more creativity we have to actually be doing the things that are truly from our higher self. And so yeah, and I it's, think that it's, that's really beautiful. It's like the art of saying no, right? It's like mm-hmm. the art so of- important. Yeah. And so anyways, that's what happened and this what week. And what you're saying yes to. What you're saying Exactly. Yes to, you're saying no and you get things, to start- right? you get to start saying yes to the things that are truly important to you. Like, for example, this collaboration is something that like, I am truly so excited to do. So it's like, I don't want to have to say no because I have to create, because I have to like translate something or like create something. And so Spanish speakers, os quiero mucho. Espero que que me estés siguiendo ahora. But I'm going to be doing stuff in English. And so. (laughs) Olivia and I like nodding vigorously. Yeah, I got Um, it. Yeah. And I think Holly, that. That's something, so we've been doing some interesting things this week kind of as a group, right? Yeah, exactly. So speaking of adding more things to our plates, um, but but I think we're doing this in a, in a, in a hopefully a more purposeful manner, having just had the discussion that we had. Um, but no, so something that we've been trying out, guys, this week, uh, which we're pretty excited about, is this new platform called Clubhouse. And for, for anyone that hasn't been on there, if you're listening to podcasts, you'll probably enjoy it. Um, because it's basically a, it's like talk radio, but it's, it's live and you can drop into the conversation. So basically you can log onto a platform. You can look at the titles of different conversations that people are having in what are called rooms. And then if you find it interesting, you can hop in the room and you can shout in the audience and just listen. Or if you have a question or something to contribute, you can hop up on the stage and talk about it. And it's been cool because I've been in some rooms with some pretty expert people I've been able to ask them questions directly. So the way that I think about it is like, it's like Howard Stern, if Howard Stern would just let you like have him interview you, you know? And like Howard Stern is like a legend in talk radio, right? Mm -hmm. And he like has these crazy conversations with people. Actually, what I've, 
I was listening to a, to a podcast the other day and apparently Howard Stern is like a champion for women's rights and has this like extremely loving relationship with his wife That's and so is cool. actually like a really cool dude, which I, you know, you wouldn't think you're like Howard Stern seems kind of like a D bag, right? But apparently he's fantastic. And that means so, that we should all be doing more talk radio, obviously, if the legend <laughs> is so great. Um, and so what we did this week was we did a, we did a clubhouse room on sort of like coaching horror stories from our past in fitness and nutrition, which I think was important because I think a lot of people feel like, oh, coaches, they've got it all together. Like they must be able to pick a good coach for themselves. Uh, no, not always. We've done, we've picked bad coaches too. And so we had a nice conversation about how to, I mean, what, how and why we'd done that, but also how to avoid it in the future. And what we've decided to do is basically turn that into a weekly chat room on Clubhouse that we're going to do every Thursday. Um, so if any of you guys are on Clubhouse already, you can follow any of us. And I think all of us have the same uh, as our Instagram ha uh, accounts as our- And if you want invites, send us a DM and maybe we'll be able to get you yes. an invite. We're, we want to share. We want to talk to you. We yeah. want to hear you up on our stage. Yeah. And we're going to be doing, invites. yeah, yeah, we're going to be doing a, uh, a, basically a weekly chat around our podcast topic for the week. So every week when you guys listen to this podcast, the, the next Thursday, we're going to be doing a chat on that. So you guys can hop in, ask us questions, um, and get any deeper advice that you wanted having listened to that podcast. Um, yeah. and you know, like one of the things that came up for us a lot as we had that chat was there's still so many of these crazy fitness myths that won't die that are still being purported by so many coaches out there. Like no wonder people are confused. They're going to these coaches and being told that their worst fears around these things are true. And so today we wanted to take the time to dive into three of the fitness myths that we heard that came up a lot during that conversation. Jillian, do you want to take it away with the first of our uh, deadly fitness myths. Yeah. So do we want to start with, uh, do carbs really make you fat? Like, do we want to start with a nutrition one? I know you said fitness, but, uh, or do we want to start? Yeah. Let's go. Okay. Let's go All right. One. So question ladies, do carbs really make you fat? No. <laughs> Easy. All right. Done. Podcast yeah. done. Podcast on. done. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> but so, no, why, so then here's the thing. Here's the uh, question. What makes us, what makes us fat is Overeating energy is taking in too much energy than what we need. And unfortunately, we are told that it's like fat makes you fat or carbs make you fat when actually it's energy intake that will contribute to fat gain. So you're saying that protein can also make me fat? Like I've been yeah. told, and this I'm playing devil's advocate here, but you know, you hear people and they're like high protein diet, and you see people that you're that they're eating an insane amount of protein but then they're terrified of eating like a potato. Yeah. 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 So, I well, mean, let's talk real quick about like how these things relate, right? So like how do, how do carbs and fats and protein even relate to calories? Like what's happening? Well, first of all, like, like, do we even understand? I think in a lot of cases, when we hear people saying carbs make you fat, like, are we missing the basic understanding of like what a calorie is? Because I think a lot yeah. of the time it's like, we think calories are like these like little gnomes that like come in and like make your pants fit too tight. You know what I mean? But calories are actually energy and like without calories, like you're dead. And so I think we also have this thought of like, okay, well, if I, you know, carbs make me fat because like, I shouldn't be eating so many calories, but it's like, you kind of need calories 
And, you know, we can go into also why you need carbs specifically for your brain to function. But I think that, you know, it's, it's just good to understand basically like calories are energy done. Great. Yeah. And like, let's also just touch on what, like sort of where this myth came from, because the way that your body, so like calories as a concept, like our calories are built up of protein, carbs, fats, and technically alcohol, but we can touch on that maybe another day. But those three macronutrients, like the nutrients we need in in large amounts are the things that make up our calories. So how much protein you eat, how much carb you eat, how much fat you eat creates how many calories you eat. That's how the concepts are related. And then, you know, what really went on here was, um, you know, the myth used to be low fat, right? And I think sometimes that still comes up. Um, But the, the fat myth was basically, because fats are quite your body takes in fats and then stores it usually as body fat if if there is a overconsumption of calories which we'll get into but the the thing that happened with carbs was people were like okay when you eat carbs insulin and all of a sudden insulin which everyone became terrified of insulin spikes because when insulin goes up you can kind of think of insulin as the key that unlocks your cells like your cells are locked up the insulin comes in, it's a little key, it opens your cell, and now your cells can absorb uh, excess energy. They can absorb energy um, and you know, insulin kind of open them up. Some people are like, oh my God, insulin. If we have too much insulin, our body's just going to absorb all the calories, even like doesn't matter how much we're eating, you know, like every single calorie we eat, if we have an insulin spike, is going to be stored as body fat. Like that's what's going to happen. And this is kind of the thing that many people terrified and people were like, oh, fats don't spike insulin so maybe they're okay and like that's kind of where the keto thing like keto fat loss trend specifically came from and so yeah like someone else dive in here but like how did that myth become so like distorted so i think and this is i think where you're talking like the talking point that you had about insulin i think is really important but i think it's more recent i feel like the the discovery of like this conversation around insulin is like a much more recent dis- conversation whereas like the carbs make you fat myth i think started back with atkins like do you remember the atkins diet where it was like this high pro like atkins was basically a high protein diet and and so people had the you know people would go on atkins and they would lose all of this what, what we know is like mostly water weight or you know, they would lose weight, but it wouldn't necessarily be because they cut out carbs. It would be because they changed their food choices, which is like a totally different conversation. But I think that what happened, because we know that, you know, when you consume carbs, you know, it's one gram of carbs comes with three grams of water, right? So it's, it's like you consume one gram of carbohydrates, and that is also going to bring three grams of water into your body. And so what does that mean? That means that yes, when you eat carbs, you are going to hold more water, but then people have this idea of like, oh my gosh, I'm holding water. I must be gaining weight. And it's like, yeah, if you're talking about weight, like, you know, like this mug of water is weight, but if I hold this mug of water and get on a, a, a scale, that doesn't mean that I gained body fat. That means I'm holding a mug of water, right? And so I think that the way that, and and I'd love to hear what you guys think about this, but I think that the insulin model came a bit later and where it came from was kind of this first, I think in the eighties where it was like, oh my gosh, if I cut carbs, I'm going to lose weight. But that weight was all water weight. Yeah, I think I think that like the insulin thing was still always there because that's kind of where the Atkins thing came from in the first place was still based around that. But the reason it picked up so much steam very quickly is exactly what you said, which is that when people took carbs out, they saw a very swift decrease in weight and they equated that with, ah, that means it's correct. Like by taking out carbs, I lose weight faster. And and if if it's 
taking out carbs that makes me lose weight very quickly. It must be adding in carbs that's making me get fat very quickly. Um, and I think that's where part of it came from. And I think that that leads into an interesting kind of side thing of, okay, well, what's the difference between fat loss and weight loss? Because that's Definitely. where when you're taking out carbohydrates, it's like, oh my gosh, the scale is going down. But that is, doesn't necessarily equate to body fat changing. And when we're talking about body composition and people that are cutting out carbohydrates because they want to uh, change, when they say that they want to lose weight, it's because they want to change their body composition, then then um, we need to be talking about fat loss rather than weight loss. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a conversation that unfortunately, a lot of the time, you know, when I work with clients is they're still very, very tied to the number on the scale. And so it's like, you know, we have to have this conversation of like, look, you can cut out carbs and you'll see the number on the scale go down. But the issue is, is that you don't want to not eat carbs for the rest of your life. Right? Like, carbohydrates are delicious. Then there's this other com conversation that goes to like, okay, you know, what is, what is a carb? And I think that a lot of the time people are, people think like, oh, well, you know, I cut out bread and I cut out pasta and I cut out cookies. And it's like, then I'm not eating carbs. And I'm like, okay, but I'm still eating fruit, so yeah, but like fruit <laughs> and vegetables are carbohydrates and those, mm. we want those. Then we get into this whole other thing, the craziness now where it was like, I don't know if you guys heard this doctor that was on the Lewis Howes um, podcast that was talking about how fruit uh, makes you fat and how fruit is, you know, we shouldn't be eating fruit. The worst. Yeah. The worst. Um, and so I think, yeah, two things there, right? So the first thing is that, yeah, now it's going almost too far the other way. But I think also going back to how people define what a carb is, I think a lot of the time when people say, oh, I cut out carbs and I lost weight, what they're cutting out are things like, donuts, pizza, cake, and so on. And if you actually look at what makes up those foods, it's very equal portions, carbon fat. And, mm -hmm. and most of the time, more of the calories are actually coming from fat. And that's not to say that people should be terrified of eating fats now, like that's not the point. But the point here is that it's like the combo of the two is things that people tend to overeat. And the combo of the two in a more processed form is the thing that people tend to overeat. So I think that's one thing right it's like people's definition of what a carb is is sometimes skewed and then the other way is what Jillian was just talking about which is that then people go oh all carbs are bad like oh god like the sugar in fruit oh wow like I know Jillian you mentioned this the other week but like oh god like carrots have more sugar than like spinach in them like they must be bad too and well, now carrots, it's going too if you far look at if you look at the glycemic index, like like the G, the glycemic index, like cooked carrots are like insanely high on the glycemic index. And that's where people, they're like, oh, eat low glycemic foods. And it's like, okay, so you're going to tell me that like, go eat, you know, a piece of toast, but you can't eat like a, like a boiled carrot. Like that's insane. And yeah, I think that and that's I, where- just to, just, to define, just to define glycemic index for people that don't know, but glycemic index basically measures like how fast your body absorbs the sugars from a given food, more or less. Uh, with with sugar being like the the highest, that's like, like it has a score of a hundred, and everything else comes under that. And like the problem with glycemic index is that you measure these foods as eaten alone by themselves, as though you're just going to sit down and eat like a bowl of cooked carrots, plain, and and not involve anything else. Whereas actually, like what we want to think about with with vegetables and fruits is like the fiber that's in them completely changes that how how fast you absorb things, and then what you eat them with, you're eating them with protein and fats. It changes already the speed at which you're absorbing that stuff. 
Yeah. And I think that an interesting thing to kind of bring into this and talk about, like, I'd love for us to talk a little bit about like, what are the benefits of carbohydrates and also touch on one. This is one that I hear a lot in Spain, especially. And I don't know if this is like an international thing or if it's just here where people are like really scared to eat carbs at night because they're like eating carbs at night, make you fat. And there's actually a lot of research that shows that like eating a certain amount of carbohydrates in the evening can actually help promote a healthy sleep cycle. Right. Absolutely. And especially for women who have very stressful lives, then eating carbohydrates is the most helpful thing that they can be doing to mitigate some of the stress that they have in their lives. And especially if women who lead stressful lives are not sleeping at nighttime, having some carbohydrates in the evening is actually a really helpful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically because carbohydrates have a calming effect on our nervous system you know, like if you're doing high stress workouts, I mean, we often hear about carbs talked about in relation to like recovering from workouts. And that's one of the ways in which they're beneficial for that is that the good effect they have on our central nervous system. And then also the good effect they have on like muscle recovery and, and like fueling our day. And like, they're important also just for our brain health, like that kind of links to our nervous system that we just mentioned. And I mean, finally, if we're talking about this specifically in relation to women, um, carbohydrates, we need them. And it, and it, you know, studies show a lot of different things and obviously everything's personal, but on the whole, the average that they tend to have found for women is like lower than 110 grams of carbs a day tends to create hormonal disruption in women, meaning that we might end up with estrogen dominance or progesterone deficiency or irregular periods. And yeah, that it can go in a pretty negative direction if, if women in particular are consistently eating low carb. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that one of the things that, that gets a little bit lost is that we think of carbohydrates as like, okay, you know, am I eating toast or am I eating rice or am I eating, you know, uh, cereal and things like that. And it's like, look, if you're looking to improve your nutrition overall, you don't need to cut out carbs, but you can definitely make different choices within your everyday, right? Yeah. And I think what would be really helpful is for those people, you know, for us, we understand what like a hundred grams of carbohydrates could look like, right? So Holly, what you're saying, I think that that's really, really important information for people to, to have is like to not dip below 110 grams of carbohydrates, like just to have that kind of in their mind. So what would 110 grams of carbohydrates look like? Oh, I love talking about stuff like this. This is so much fun. Like for example, a big apple is going to have like 27 grams of carbohydrates, right? But then we also do have fiber in there. So like, that's not going to be the same as eating 27 grams of carbohydrates from like, you know, half a cup of special K. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that important here is also a lot of people, if you say to them, Hey, 110 grams of carbohydrates, they're going to go and weigh like 110 grams of rice. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Which is like, why I said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's, it, that doesn't mean that in the course of your day, you should have like 50 grams of apple, 50 grams of rice and like 10 grams of sweet potato. It means that you want to have 110 grams of carbohydrates specifically. Um, and as Julian mentioned, we have inside carbohydrates, we have starches, we have sugar and we have fiber. And all three of those are kinds of carbs. And I think people get confused about that too. And actually all of them serve different purposes in the body and we need all of them. And I think that people get very nervous about sugar, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about with the fruit, right? Um, people know that they should eat more fiber, but don't, don't, they know don't really know where to find it enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then starches, people are like, oh, I, I kind of know that that's like the least 
quote unquote bad, but like, how do I do that? Um, and so I think a good place to start is just to like, this is why even when I have clients who are beginners, even if I'm not going to have them track all of their food, if we're focusing on like letting go of fear of carbs, we might just weigh out a portion of rice and be like, Hey, like how many carbs are in your bowl of rice? And they look at it and they're like, Oh, there's only like 40 grams of carbs in like my 100 gram bowl of rice. And I'm like, yeah. So imagine if that's all you're eating for the whole day because you're so scared of carbs, you're actually depriving your body of what it needs. And they're like, wow. So I could actually, if I wanted to have three bowls of rice in my day, I'm mentioning rice, by the way, because I work with a lot of Asian people in Asia and Asian women. Um, and they're like, oh God, I can't eat rice. And it's such a big part of their culture. Um, and they're like, wow. So I could have three bowls of rice and be fine. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, this was- And this is the crazy thing is, so I'm actually reading this book right now called how to build a healthy brain. And, and I just finished the, the, the section of the book that's all about nutrition for building a healthy brain. And I think that's something that we maybe aren't aware of, or we don't think about is that like our brain actually runs on glucose and glucose is the simplest form of sugar. And so it's like, if you are eating low carb and a lot of people like the, you know, we could do a whole nother podcast on like why we're very moderate in our nutrition recommendations. And we're not telling people like go keto or intermittent fast or like whatever. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is like for a healthy brain, like you do want a certain amount of carbohydrates. And I think that that's where, you know, when people say like carbs make you fat, we need to look at what actually do you mean when you say carbs make you fat? What is your understanding of what carbohydrates are? Um, what is your daily nutri- what are your daily nutrition practices look like? And also what are your goals? Because those things, I think we kind of, especially, you know, as women, it's overwhelmingly, like everybody wants to be smaller. Everybody wants to lose weight. And so it's like, we create fear around these things that it's actually like, you want your brain to work well, right? Cool. Eat some carbs. Yeah. And so if we, if we continue on this topic of fear around things and focusing on things for weight loss, I think it's a great transition into our next um, fitness myth that just won't die. Um, and the next one that I, I want like to that needs touch like a, on. I feel like that needs like a, when you say fitness myth, fitness myths won't die, like dun, 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 like a dun, dun, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I everyone, wish I was good everyone, enough. Every time we say that, yeah. yeah. Everyone, I wish I was good enough at playing, editing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please be playing that theme tune in the back of your mind. So feel free to yeah. go rewind this and and replay it with Olivia's soundtrack over the top. Um, dun, dun, dun. And so, <laughs> um, and so the next one we want to bring up is this myth that in order to lose weight and in order to maintain weight loss, cardio is necessary. Someone dive in. Oh my yes. gosh! Uh, I. I'll I'll start with this one. So yeah, I like your, I like very, your sniff there. So yeah, this is very. Olivia's very pushing nuanced. it like rolling up her sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, this is very nuanced because this completely depends on where the the individual is coming from. So if there are people that are maybe someone who is very overweight. Um, and that actually really does need to lose body fat, then we, we use cardio. You know, we're not going to go into strength training because there is a point where we actually need to lose body fat um, before we can safely go into doing some things. And so that is kind of, you know, it's very nuanced like that. But um, this, and this kind of comes into the conversation of what we actually talked about before we started recording is, is actually this difference between 
intentional exercise and movement. Intentional exercise is when we are maybe going into the gym, we're following a program, we're doing strength training, or we're going to a, a group fitness class, we're doing a yoga class, we're doing Pilates, CrossFit, whatever. Um, and unintentional movement is when we are doing chores around the house, we're going for a walk, we are um, doing the vacuuming, like doing yard work and stuff like this. And the thing is that where people get really tripped up is that they think that cardio is going to be burning calories, like intentional cardio, but your movement, your unintentional movement is actually expending more energy. It expends about 30% of your daily energy uh, more than intentional exercise, which is about 15. So this is where people get really, really tripped up with it. So I'll just start with there, Jillian, you've got your hand. So basically, I, I, I love the way that you explain that. And I actually like to think of it as we have exercise and the way that I kind of break it down. And this is just the way that kind of makes sense for, for me and the way that I try to explain it to my clients. And especially now with COVID is I think that our our like daily movement has overall gone down. And so I think that like what would have been, you know, quote unquote, uh, normal life was like, there was a lot of that more like unintentional movement. But now I like to think of it as there's exercise, there's intentional movement, and then there's unintentional movement. And I like to differentiate the, you know, exercise and intentional movement, because intentional movement for me could be just as like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. Like I'm doing that. That is my intention. I'm going to go for a walk or, you know, and I'm going to pace while I'm talking on the phone instead of sitting down while I'm talking on the phone. And then there's unintentional, which is like, you know, I'm uh, hanging out the laundry to dry or I'm cooking or whatever. And I think that that's where, you know, we, we have this idea that like, I need to do cardio and people might be doing like their hour of cardio per day. But then now with COVID, we're just sitting on our asses all day. And, you know, and like, honestly, I am so lucky that I have a dog because otherwise I would end up sitting on my ass all day too. I, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think that um, one of the keys here that, that we didn't touch on is like why, why people think that cardio is necessary for weight loss and why also intentional movement. Jane Fonda. <laughs> yes. But also, also the fact that like, we're talking about burn things that burn calories here. Right. Yeah. And so this goes back to what we mentioned with the carb thing, which is in order for weight loss to happen, we do need to be consuming less calories than we're expending and what happens often in terms of cardio is that people look at wearables or something online or an advertisement from a certain uh fitness uh trend naming no names um that says we burn x amount of calories in x time um and then people think okay so the focus of me working out and the way I lose weight is we need to be burning maximum calories in order for this to help me with weight loss. Yeah, yeah, totally, Holly. Um, I think where things kind of get tripped up as well is that with cardio, if, if you're depending on exercise for weight loss, the problem is, is that you have to keep doing more and more and more and more because what happens is that your body just adapts so with cardio your body adapts so let's just keep it really simple okay if you're doing the elliptical you're like okay cool I'm gonna go to the gym I'm gonna lose weight I'm gonna just start with the elliptical which is where so many people start right because it's like oh fear of going into the weight room 
and doing elliptical you do that for like 20 minutes you're like okay sweet so then 20 minutes gets really easy and you're not like nothing's changing or you know whatever and so you think you have to do more 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 and so the thing with cardio is that because the of the adaptation and your body just gets used to it you just have to keep doing more and so that's where we want to be doing strength training for exercise and we still want to be doing cardio because we have to for our heart health and especially for women because heart health is one of the biggest um, causes of uh, death for women. So this is really, really important. But if we want intentional fat loss, looking at energy intake is going to be the best thing. And using exercise as a way to get fitter, get stronger, but not using it as a means to lose body fat and more looking at getting in more movement, more steps, for um, additional energy expenditure. Yeah, and I think there's two important things to take it to, to keep in mind. One of them is is like what you just touched on, and that's the fact is, and this is this is maybe going to sound a little bit like simplistic, but it's way easier to eat 500 calories less than it is to burn 500 calories through exercise right? It's like less time consuming. Um, it's less stressful. Obviously we don't want to go too low in calories because that's not good either. Um, but I think that when we're thinking about cardio is like, you know, how much cardio do you have to do to, to like burn X amount of calories? Not that I like that transactional, that transactional sort of, um, equation, but then on the other hand is looking at, okay, so people might be thinking, yeah, but how can I actually, you know, change my body. If I'm just doing strength training, like I'm not sweating, I need to, I'm not suffering. Like what, you know, why, how is my body going to change if all I'm doing is lifting weights and my heart rate isn't really going up that much? Yeah. So I think that what's interesting, what you said there, Jillian, is that, you know, it's actually easier to eat 500 calories less for us. Yeah. Because we get that. Right. But I think that for so many people, the easier thing to do than take out 500 calories is to actually just go and do a really like a, a like a hard out cardio like hit class or something like that because they go in and they're like cool I see that I've burnt this many calories so now I can go and have my glass of wine at home or bottle but you know, that ends up backfiring so, right exactly and so that's where I think there is a disconnect because the lower barrier to entry for fat loss is actually exercise because nutrition is so complicated and it feels so hard. And so it's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to run and I'm just going to rely on that because it's easier. Problem there is that it creates that transactional uh, relationship with exercise and food that we, that Jillian just mentioned where people then think like, oh, oh no I ate like ice cream today therefore tomorrow I have to do like two classes back to back in order to make up for it and what we really want like what's going to help you with long-term weight loss and and maintenance of that is finding a way that exercise fits into your life where it's not punishment where it's like something that you're enjoying um and and to be honest if you hate lifting weights with a passion and what you like is running then cool like that that's fine, but it, it doesn't, it's not that it's the most effective way for you to lose weight with exercise. It's just that whatever you enjoy the most is probably going to be what you can stick with for the longest. And therefore that's going to be the most helpful thing for you to do in terms of exercise 
for weight loss, no matter what. Yeah. But I think it comes back to like, I completely agree with what you said. And I think that that is so perfectly said because adherence is really the, the, the key to success, right. Is like finding something that you can do pretty much every day for the rest of your life. Right. And, and so that's why it's so important to find like a nutritional style instead of just following like a specific rigid diet. It's important to find a nutritional style that fits with your lifestyle. But then there's this, this, you know, this other thing that we're taught that, that I think is important to be said. And that's sort of like the muscle wasting effects of, do, of doing too much cardio. And also like what, uh, what Olivia said, the metabolic adaptation, when we are doing too much cardio, like if you think about, um, you know, people like, oh, well, I, you know, I run and I run and I don't lose weight or even people that could be potentially gaining weight doing a shit ton of cardio. And I think that that's where we want to look at, okay, how do we find this healthy balance and understanding, you know, you hear all the time the like muscle, you know, muscle weighs more than fat, like muscle burns more than fat. But the fact of the matter is, is the more muscle that you do, that you have on your body, the higher your, your basic med, uh, your basic metabolic rate is going to be. And so overall, you are going to be able to maintain a certain body composition easier. Yeah. And so let's, from that, let's dive into why we personally prefer weight training. If we're making someone a recommendation for weight loss than cardio. And I think some of the confusion here is like, if someone asks me, how can I burn the most calories in an hour? Is it with weight training or is it with cardio? The answer there is cardio. Like in that hour of working out, you will burn more calories in that single hour from doing a run for an hour or a hit workout for an hour than you would lifting weights for an hour. But the point of the weight workout is that you're a, in terms of health perspective, building better bone density, which I think a lot of women ignore, but then they look at their parent, their parents and grandparents are like, Oh, like they have yeah injuries and things like that. The second thing is if we're talking about, you know, muscle and how beneficial muscle is not just for health, but also for our metabolism, because with more muscle, you automatically burn more calories doing nothing. The only way to build muscle is going to, especially for women is with purposeful strength training. And so we need that in there and that and it avoids that adaptation that Olivia was talking about with having to do more and more cardio, which you're just not going to be able to fit into your time. Yeah. And the thing is as well, is that if you value your health, if you value freedom in your body and you value your health, then you're going to be an exerciser for life. And so it's about thinking, okay, if I'm doing these hit classes like five times a week to try and control my body, how do I keep that going? And again, it is, it's just like you have to do more. And when you do more, everything else starts to break down. You'll probably get injured and then you'll probably not be able to exercise. And then what? Like you don't have a fallback because you're relying on exercise to change your body. So it truly just doesn't really make sense. And this is where we have to go deeper with it. It's like, what are you, what are you using? Like, what is the deeper thing here about how you feel about your body? And I know that that's not the question, but I mean, that's where it kind of leads to. But I also think that it's really important to note that this is not about not doing cardio. When we want to be, um, when we want to create a healthy, functional, well-working body, 
we want to be working all of our energy systems. We want to be strength training. We want to be doing walking or, um, you know, just movement. We want to be doing low intensity, steady state cardio. That's important. Like I said, for heart health, we want to be um, working hard. We want to be doing huffy puffy stuff. Like, but we want these things to be modulated over a week, over a month, over a year, so that we are becoming a functional human being. And then we're looking at our lifestyle, we're looking at our nutrition for changing body composition and allowing the adaptation from the stimulus we're getting from exercise to contribute to that. Yeah, I think the one thing that I want to mention, I know the next myth that we're going to talk about is is one that I think is going to get kind of like heated because this one, it, it leads, it, you know, we're kind of like leading into that. But I think one thing that I do notice, you know, I've had quite a few clients I tend to work with. Um, with a lot of women that are that are in their like late 30s to early 40s and that maybe have never done any type of weight training before and so they're like well I just don't like it and I actually was talking to a client I think it was last week and she was telling me about an experience that she had um where she, you know, she was doing sort of like a, like an F45, like circuit training where they, you know, they have some weights, but it's not sort of specific weight training. And then the trainer switched it up and switched it to a more strength training type environment. And she felt really intimidated and she felt really weak. And in feeling weak, it was really demotivating. And so that's where I think it's like, you know, you hear a lot of, a lot of coaches, you know, hammering this point of like, you need to do strength training, you need to do strength training. But it's, it, it's really intimidating for someone that's never done it before, where it's like they're in their heads, they're like, I know the benefits of this, but also like this is kind of terrifying and overwhelming because every time I do strength training, my muscles hurt so bad the next day, I feel like I'm falling apart. And so this is where, you know, and I think Olivia, you can speak to this um, and, it, and it will bring us into our next, our next myth is I think that it's, you know, it's looking at, you don't need to go in the gym and be deadlifting, uh, you know, a, a weighted barbell in order to be doing resistance training. Like we all need to look at starting where we're at. Like if you're someone that, you know, you're like, I've been running for years and that's all I've been doing for my exercise. Then maybe for you, strength training looks like just doing some body weight squats to start out with, or like doing pushups against the wall. And that's where it's like similar to like when you first started running, maybe you ran for a minute and walked now you are doing air squats and then maybe next time you're going to put on a backpack and do air squats. Yeah, 100%. And I think that this goes to where are you looking for this? You know, we have to come back to who we are, what, where we kind of are and look to people who are doing similar things to us. Because if you're a runner and you've never lifted before and you're like, okay, cool, like strength training. And then you Google that and you see women or like CrossFit bodies that are lifting that clean and jerking hundred kg. And you're like, if this is what strength training is, that's crazy. And so that's when you have to be much more critical and, and looking at, you know, where you are and looking for people that are doing the right, the same thing as you are runners who lift you know what I mean? And that's when things become more accessible. And that's when you're actually um, exposing yourself to people that understand you and can empathize with you. And they are going to be, you know, making this more accessible for sort of where you are. Like F45, a 40-year-old mum who's been out of exercise for, you know, a few years because she had children and then going to F45, even if she's had experience with strength training, 
that's going to be really hard because she's going to be like, oh my gosh, I used to be do, I used to be able to lift something and now I'm here and look at these young people doing this. And it's, you know, so I think that that as we, as we need to be more informed and more critical about what we're kind of looking at and taking in for us. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that this also leads us to another thing that stops a lot of women in particular getting into resistance training and a heavier strength training, which is our final myth. And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to put it twofold. Like the, you know, we, we wrote it down as is toning really a thing. And I think this also links into, I think for some women, they're like, okay, cool. Like I understand what toning is, which we'll talk about in a second, but then they say, okay, but I only want to build lean muscle and I don't want to build bulky muscle. And there's this belief that resistance training and heavy lifting in particular builds bulky muscle. And I think that's the thing that sometimes drives people into more of the F45 or nothing at all in terms of all the Peloton classes or whatever, where you're doing tiny weights. Um, so first of all, let's talk about like, what the hell is toning? Like, why is it a thing people want? Uh, and, you know, what is it really? So I think that this myth started also in kind of like the 80s and 90s and then per was perpetuated by like Gwyneth Paltrow's trainer, who was like this woman that was talking about how like women shouldn't be lifting weights over three pounds or something like that and how everybody needs to build like a dancer's body. And I think that it's really important to point out that like dancers have a dancer's body because that's what their body looks like. Like you don't take someone like, like you wouldn't take me who's five foot one and like, you know, built exactly like my mom who was like, like very Botticelli-esque, you know, lots of curves. I'm never going to have a dancer's body, no matter what, what type of weights that I lift. And so that's where this sort of like myth of like, Hey, you know, you do this type of exercise and you're going to get this type of body is like, first of all, you have the body that you have. Yes. You can make changes to it. Um, but you know, I'm never, I'm five foot one. I'm never going to be five foot six. Right. But we've been sort of sold this myth of like, but if you do these specific exercises with these specific weights and specific rep ranges, like you're going to be going from being five foot one with curves to being like, you know, five foot three with like lean muscle, which is, I'm sorry, it's not a thing. So it also, I think, is important to mention here that like we want to start with some body acceptance first and then work on changing ourselves from there. Um, but as far as like the lean muscle versus bulky muscle, I think that's kind of where that myth started. Yeah. And I think like, let's just also talk about toning real quick because it's something that comes up a lot. It's still in magazine covers a lot or articles where it's like how to get like the toned figure that you want or how to tone up. There's a lot of like tone up things right and what people are usually referring to when they talk about toned is is kind of a somewhat athletic looking body like having some shape to your body um but not having like visible muscle lines like that tends to be what people are referring to um and so what is that like how are people getting that toned quote unquote toned shape so they are building muscle and losing body fat and that it can't be that simple Olivia don't be crazy it can't <laughs> yeah. be that simple <laughs> but I think sometimes if there are women who so simply that's that's what it is that um women are 
building muscle by lifting weights, doing resistance training, and they are losing body fat. Not that they're doing that, but maybe that is just kind of where they're at. That's where their set point is, whatever. But um, uh, what was it? Oh, that sometimes if women do start strength training and they're like, I'm getting bulky and maybe they've come from doing high intensity classes or like a lot of running or something like that and they blame the strength training on getting bulky, it's actually because they maybe have just put on some body fat because maybe they're not doing, they're not expending as as much energy. So like we talked about in the last myth that yes, doing cardio will expend more energy. So it might be that if you are just doing strength training, then, then maybe you need to look at how much energy you are bringing in. And so I think that that's something that I know that in with my experience with many of my clients, that is something that they have experienced. Yeah. And so I think here, one of the things to note is, I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, but, but if I lift weights, surely I'm going to get the bulky muscle. I'm not going to get the, the quote unquote lean muscle. And I think a few things to note here, one of which is that it's notoriously difficult for women to build muscle. There are exceptions to that rule. There are exceptions to that rule. But for most women, building muscle is going to take a lot of time and quite a lot of resistance training, consistent resistance training to do. And when you build, exactly. And when you build that first small amount of muscle, like you're not suddenly going to go from zero to a hundred in like a couple of months. What you'll get to first is that slight muscle shape under your skin and under your fat layers even if you don't yet see it so it's one of those things where it's like okay first of all start with the resistance training you need to build some muscle there and then if you lose the weight then we see the shape the shape of the muscle that you built and that's the quote-unquote toned look and the lean side of it comes from body fat loss it's nothing to do with the kind of muscle that you've built But I think there's something to be said here for there's a patience aspect to it, right? And this is where I think when, you know, when we're talking about also going back to like the cardio for fat loss is like, it's, you know, you may, if you have never done any cardio before and all of a sudden you start doing cardio, like you may notice like a more rapid fat loss than you are going to notice if you start lifting weights and all of a sudden seeing those, you know, the the muscle grow under your, under your skin. But I think that there's something to be said that also, you know, when we look at why we are exercising, we want to be looking at not just the short term, but also the long term and looking at, you know, what is sustainable for you. And I think that when I was, I remember when I was coaching CrossFit, you know, and, and I know all of us have coached CrossFit, um, is what I would hear a lot is, you know, but I just bulk up right away. You know, people would say like, I'll, I, I start exercising and in, you know, in two weeks, all of a sudden I'm just bulky. And I think we need to, to mention that there is something to be said for the, in, the, the potential inflammation caused mm. by by the tearing of muscle fibers that are going, you know, that's when you feel sore. So you're in the gym, you're, you know, say you're doing a squat, you do your sets of squats. And then the next day you're like, Ooh, I'm really sore. And you look in the mirror, you're like, I look puffy. And we, we need to remember that like, that doesn't mean that you've gained weight. And it's actually really normal. If you hop on the scale the day after doing a heavy set of squats, that you are going to weigh more. This doesn't mean that your muscle is all of a sudden 
you know, puffier or bulkier, that simply means that you've created a certain amount of, of inflammation, of acute inflammation, not chronic inflammation in your body. And that in the, the resolution or the, the, the healing of that inflammation, which we actually want in order to create new muscle, is you may notice that you look a little bit, uh, you know, puffier than you may be accustomed to. But that doesn't mean that you've all of a sudden gained this like, you know, Michelin man style muscle, right? And that comes down as you exactly. recover, which is why recovery is important and not training every day. Yeah, I think that that is such an important, and I was just about to say that, Jillian, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think that is such an important um, thing to note that that inflammation is so, it happens all the time. And something else with that as well is um, if you feel soreness or you know, have delayed muscle onset soreness like the day after or the day, the second day after, you know, you've, you've lifted, it, it is often that sensation that we can attach meaning to. And so it's like, my shoulders are sore, my shoulders must be big. You know, I, I see that all the time. It's just like that sensation. It's just like, I'm oh, I even still I do eat. that myself. Like, yeah. I, I still like if I if I'm not sore, I'm like, oh, that's disappointing, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think that for women who don't want to be um, gaining muscle or have that fear around like being bulky or, you know, whatever, attaching a meaning to a sensation is something that I see a lot. Um, and it's really incredible because it's actually like you just really making up stories that aren't even true. It's like, I'm cold. Okay, I'm going to put on a, a jersey. It's like, my muscles are sore. I'm big, like I'm getting bigger. Yeah. And it, it, I think it comes back to also, like, I remember back when I was sort of like deep in my, like more disordered eating, I would associate, for example, being hungry with weight loss. Like, oh, if I'm hungry, I must be yeah, losing totally. weight. And so I think totally. that that's where, you know, especially when people come from maybe not a, a strength training background and they have this idea of like, okay, I want to get toned, but I don't want to build muscle also because of the meaning that we put on, you know, those, those definitions. It's like, I want to get toned is like an acceptable female uh, female attribute, but building muscle is like, no, those are the dudes in the gym. Right. And so I think it's like, we need to normalize like females building muscle because it's also, it is really important to recognize that when you are building muscle, that you are preventing so many problems down the road. And so when we talk about things like osteoporosis and sarcopenia, where sarcopenia is actually, when you think about every, you know, everybody knows an older an older relative that has fallen, they've broken their hip, or you know they they struggle to move, or they've had to be in a wheelchair because they can no longer like control their bodies, and that has to do with issues with bone density and muscle loss. And so, if we are creating a certain amount of muscle, whether it is for aesthetic reasons or or health reasons, that muscle is going to protect us as we get older and as our bodies change. Yeah, and I think overall, what we're saying here is, does toning exist technically yes because it's it's just the vocab that people use to describe building some muscle and losing some body fat and it's a description of the aesthetic that you get when that happens right so in theory toning is a thing <laughs> the point we're making is that using that language to describe it isn't necessarily very helpful especially for females and what we want to normalize is changing the way that we talk about that and just and just using the words like wanting to gain muscle and 
lose body fat so that we're connecting more to the actual processes in our body and normalizing a different kind of training for women. And I think that one of the, one of the things that I, I think is really, really important to understand is that it's like, there's no specific exercise that is going to tone you. Like if you were doing, for example, you're doing, I don't know, ab, ab exercises, like those, ab, those ab exercises are not going to all of a sudden, you're not going to wake up the next day and see your ab muscles. Like the way that someone actually has visible abdominal muscles is through a couple different things where we think like, oh, I'm going to tone my abs, but it's like, well, there's a few different things that need to be happening. One, you need to be building stronger ab muscles. So yes, doing abdominal exercises is helpful. Two, you need to have a certain level of body fat that is congruent with showing those abs, which is dependent on your genetics. Because I think that that's something that we don't, that, that is not normalized enough is that like genetics play a huge part in which parts of your body look quote unquote toned. For example, there are individuals that I, you know, that, will have seven to 8% body fat as females, which is extraordinarily low. And I would not recommend that as a healthy rate, late rate for anybody. And the use, they still don't have it six pack abs. And that's where this myth continues to be perpetuated is like, well, if I continue to tone, like I'm going to see this thing. And so we get stuck in the cycle of like wanting to, uh, you know, quote unquote, tone more, eat less. And you may never reach that goal because there's this third component, which does have to do with some genetics. Yeah, and I think that, that it's it's an interesting kind of cycle because it's like, you know, you have to lose body fat in order to show muscle, to show to being toned, but in order to actually build that muscle, you have to eat food. And so it's this is where when we think about body composition, I mean, we can go into a whole nother thing here, but I think that we need to kind of bring this um, episode to a close, but that leads us into something else is where we look at seasons with our body composition, you know, seasons of like growing muscle and then maybe shedding some body fat and um, then sitting at maintenance and then allowing ourselves to put on a little bit of body fat to then get stronger, gain a bit more muscle and then go through, maybe take some body fat off. And so then when we start to look at you know, our body changing like this and like leaning into this like fluidity, then we, that's when we start to find freedom from exercise, freedom with our body and um, start to understand this process a little bit more, which is pretty cool. And so on that note, I think that we have done, 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 busted three good <laughs> myths today. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's just touch on what we went through today. So the first one that we touched on today was the myth that carbs make you fat. And the conclusion we came to here was that it's not carbs that make you fat. It's actually going to be the overall energy balance of what you're eating versus what you're expending with the caveat that yes, bodies are more complicated than that. And I'm sure we'll touch on this more in other episodes, but that was myth one. And I'm going to pass myth two over to Jillian. So, and then for myth two, we talked about like, do you really need to be doing cardio to lose body fat? And this is a really cool discussion because I think that it's important to look at and it, like, as we discussed, you know, what are you doing cardio? Like, what are you defining as cardio? What are you doing it for? And then, you know, if your goal is really to lose body fat, do you need to be doing as much cardio as you think you do? And the answer is no, um, that you can effectively lose body fat 
with strength training, cardio can be beneficial. Um, but if you are looking to specifically lose body fat, focusing on cardio is not going to be the, the straightest route from A to B. And then the third one was um, toning, talking about toning. Holly, remind me of the question. Uh, is toning a thing? And is there such a thing as lean muscle versus bulky muscle? Yeah. And so what we established is that toning is a thing essentially, but it's how we use language and language matters. And so what is that actual meaning for you? Like when you think about toning, what are you actually wanting? What are you actually asking for? Is it a leaner body? Then that's a different conversation. And um, we, what was the second part of that? Lean muscle versus bulky muscle. That's it. And yes, we, uh, so lean muscle and bulky muscle is not a thing. It's either being leaner or having more body fat. And both are totally fine and totally beautiful and totally normal. Yeah. It's basically like, I think it's like wearing a coat. It's like you wear a coat, you're going to like, that coat is a layer over your body, right? Um, That doesn't mean that your body underneath the coat is bulkier. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. Neither good or bad. Yep. Perfect. So I think that next week we've got some pretty exciting stuff coming up. Remind me of what our topic is going to be for next week, Holly. Uh, so next week, we're actually going to do a Q&A with some questions from some of our clients. Um, so if any of you guys listening do have a question you want answered, feel free to drop it in any of our DMs or the Be Well Cartel Instagram DMs as well. It's absolutely fine. Um, otherwise, yeah, we have a bunch of really cool questions that we're going to hop into there. Yeah. So this is going to be, um, just a fun exploration of the kind of most common things that we, that we hear from our clients. And as always, ladies, it has been an absolute, uh, no, sorry. I'm not going to say ladies. I'm going to say ladles and lentil beans because you guys know I'm a dork like that. So (laughs) ladles and lentil beans, it has been such a joy to be here to record this. I'm so excited to, to get this out to the world and thank you all for listening. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, if if you guys are interested in diving into any of these in more detail, hop into our clubhouse room this week and we'll be talking about it some more. And when is that clubhouse room, Holly? It's going to be on Thursdays. And I recommend that you just add it to your diary because we've got people in a lot of different time zones here. So it's at 9.30 a.m. UK time, 10.30 a.m. Central European time, I believe. Um, And 6.30 p.m. Seoul Korea time which for most of the rest of Asia is 5 30 p.m which is a mistake that I made frequently (laughs) when trying to coordinate with Olivia (laughs) all right well thank you all so much for being here and for your time and we will talk to you again next week thank you for listening to this episode of the be well cartel podcast Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.